judgment has set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall weigh? How shall we stand in that great day? How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him wanting? Or with our sins are washed away? Welcome to the Escape for Thy Life radio broadcast. This is a presentation of the independent Thusia Seventh-day Adventist Church, a revival of original Adventism and ancient Christianity. Our speaker is Brother Nairon Medina. Good day. This is Brother Medina for Thusia Seventh-day Adventist. And please let us start with a word of prayer. Loving Father, please be with us right now as we enter into your word. Bless all those listening and help them to understand the truth. These mercies we ask of you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we want to talk about becoming sin-free. Becoming sin-free. And we want to show that to be free from sin is not something a human being can work on their own and achieve after 70 years, etc., of trying to be sanctified. Yes, my dear people, sinfulness is not something achieved by seeking to be sanctified over the years. Sinfulness is a gift of God. Yes, my dear people, this is what we want to show you. We want to show you that to be sin-free, you have to be given sin-freeness by God. That's how your Bible has it. Your Bible nowhere teaches you that you struggle over the years and you become sin-free. Also, the Bible nowhere says that you cannot be sin-free. You see, there are some people that misuse Scripture, misuse the writings of their religion to claim that a person cannot be sin-free. We want to show all this is wrong when you look at what the Bible tells us. You see, my dear people, the Bible has it plain. The Bible tells it to us plain both in the Old and in the New Testament, both in the first and in the second witness that sinfulness is possible. First of all, if we look at the Old Testament, we just want to show you a couple of scriptures there to show you that sinfulness is real. If we look at Psalms 119, here is what we are told. I quote from verse 1 to verse 3. It tells us this. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of Yahweh. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Now here comes the point. It says, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. End of quote. Did you see that? 
we are told they do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Now, if the scripture tells us that such people, the people that are blessed, that are undefiled in the way, and they walk in the law of Yahweh, if the scripture tells us that they do no iniquity, why is it then that some people tells us that you must sin? Look, we are told that these people here do no iniquity. Now, if they do no iniquity, it means that you can be free from sin. Furthermore, if we go down and we look at verse 11 in Psalms 119, here is what we are told. I quote, it says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. End of quote. Did you just hear that? It says, that I might not sin against thee. So in other words, with the word of God hid in our heart, we can be free from sin. And this is a present reality right now, right here on this earth in our time. Yes, my dear people, so much is this a reality that the people that will see Jesus Christ literally coming in the heavens, the people that will face him literally coming are people, in fact, who will be identified as sin-free. That's what your Bible tells you. Because if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, and we look at verse 28, here is what we are told. I quote, it says this, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, Notice this, those that look for him. So they're looking for his coming. And that's what the word Adventist means. Looking for the coming of Christ. Looking for the advent of Christ. One who is looking for the advent of Christ is called Adventist. And since Jesus Christ is to come again, the name stipulates those who are actually expecting that coming and they're looking for his coming. So the scripture continues. It says... And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. End of quote. Did you see that? Without sin unto salvation. So who will be without sin? Those who are looking for him come in. They are the ones that will be without sin unto salvation. And he will appear unto them the second time and they will be without sin unto salvation. Now, if Christ comes and he meets you in sin, do you expect to be free from destruction? The glory of God that is a consuming fire will destroy you if you have sin in you. This is why the Bible says that that wicked will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. Yes, my dear people. And so, your Bible does indeed tell you that you could be sin-free and you should be sin-free upon the face of this earth. Now, what is the problem? The problem is that over the years, false religion has robbed people of hope. The hypocrisy and the failings of others also have robbed many people of hope. They do not believe that you can live 24-7 without even thinking one wrong thought without having one wrong feeling in your body, without doing one wrong deed. They don't believe it is possible. In other words, in their psyche, sin is so powerful that it can overcome righteousness. That's how they are thinking, and that's what they're saying. They don't believe that the righteousness of God 
and that righteousness and that holiness is so powerful that once it is in you, at your choice, it can keep sin away from coming within you. And these problems that people have in their thinking is completely wrong because they are not informed from the scriptures. Today, we have a church that believes you can be sin-free and that teaches members to be sin-free and that points them out to the way that you can be free from sin through God and also points them out how to maintain the sin-freeness. And that's Tuesday Seventh-day Adventists, wherever we are, whether we are here in Trinidad, whether we are in Pakistan, whether we, we are in London or the United States, St. Vincent, Grenada, Tobago, wherever we are, we teach that you can be free from sin. Yes, my dear people, this is our teaching. And we give you hope to prove to you that you do not have to commit one single wrong at any time. Why? Because Christ can make you free. And this comes to a scripture we want to look at that explains sin freeness in a peculiar way. And this is Jesus himself speaking. And we are looking at John chapter 8. And we want to look at verse uh, 32 first of all. Here is what it tells us. I quote, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. End of quote. Did you see that? Jesus said, knowing the truth makes you free. Somebody asks, free from what? Free from ignorance? No, not free from ignorance just like that. If you look at verse 34, it tells us free from what? I read, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. End of quote. Now, the word servant there in the Greek word is a stronger word than the word servant. The word means slave. So it actually means he that committed sin is a slave of sin. That's what it is really saying. So when a person commits sin, they are a slave of sin. And that now helps us to understand what verse 32 is speaking about, the context of verse 32. Because verse 32 clearly tells us, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make you free from what? Make you free from being a slave of sin. And now we go down a little more to verse 36. And here is what Jesus is saying. I quote, he says this. If the Son of Man, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. End of quote. Did you see that? So Jesus is pointing out a freedom where he says you are free indeed. He says, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Did you get that? Free indeed means really free, truly free, surely free, absolutely free. That's what it means. And Jesus is saying, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's what he said. Now, what does this show us? This shows us that when a person wants freedom, he cannot get it on his own. It is the Son of Man that makes him free, free from being a slave to sin. Now, remember, your Bible already tells you that he that committed sin is a slave to sin. So if you're doing the wrong, you're a slave to that wrong. And Jesus Christ says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
And then he says, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, really free, truly free. So now, that's not a half or quarter freedom or three-quarter freedom. That is a true, genuine, real freedom, which means to say you don't have to commit sin. And some of you need to have your mind educated with this because in your churches, you're not getting that education. In your churches, they're preaching how to get wealth, how to get position, how to get car, how to get house, how to be successful in a sinful world. All that's what they're teaching. Like Joel Osteen and all of those other preachers, that's all they're preaching. Many of them in Trinidad also are preaching that. All they're telling you is about healing from this sickness, healing from that sickness. And none of them are, is touching the sickness of sin. No one is touching the sickness of sin. Because they don't believe you can be free. They do not saturate their churches and saturate the person's consciousness with an education of being free from sin. Because it is a psychological law that what you expect to happen, most likely your actions and tendencies would be towards that to cause that to happen. So if a person is looking for sin freeness, they will find in the scriptures how Christ makes them sin free so that they will be sin free. Yes, my dear people. And that's the fact about it. The problem is that many people in their churches don't believe that. And these are not the things preached. They don't want to hear that. Oh, these evangelical churches, they will attack the law of God because they don't believe they can keep the law of God. They believe that they must sin. And so they believe they're saved by grace. But that grace that they're teaching there is not the grace that the Bible speaks about. Because the grace that the Bible speaks about delivers you from sin and doesn't save you in sin. That's the difference. Therefore, if we go to Romans chapter 6 and dwell on that chapter a bit, we shall get a proper understanding as to what it tells us about sin freeness. Yes, my dear people. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 and verse 2. Here is how we start off. I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? End of quote. Did you just see that? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So the grace here that the Bible spoke about, speaks about, the grace here that is spoken about, tells us clearly that we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. Let's read it again, and we will read the following verse. Here is what we are told, I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? End of quote. Did you see that? We are told, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's what we are told. So in other words, if we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound, because when we are dead to sin, we are not to live any longer therein, it means that grace abounds over someone who is dead to sin. You cannot be in sin and have grace abounding on you. Yes, my dear people. And so the grace the evangelicals teach is not the grace the Bible teach. Because this grace abounds to a person who is dead to sin. And they don't believe that. They look for a grace as a favor 
that accepts them in their sinful state or just accept some repentance or some confession. That's how the Jews think. Or the Jews believe you can only go as far as repentance or confession. And they don't go further. And that's how these, these churches are. They only believe that you can go as far as just confession and repentance. And then God puts some righteousness and some account somewhere which is not in the Bible. And they are counted as if they are righteous when they are not righteous. So they have grace abounding over those same people who are not dead to sin. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. And this is the reason why we say it is time to get away from those theology of those pastors and to get to the plain, simple meaning and teaching of the Bible. But you know, many people have their own interpretations, but interpretations that twist the scriptures and they wrestle the scriptures and stretch it unto their own destruction. And this is the reason why you find so much false doctrines are proliferating all over the world in so many churches. You have a church telling you you can drink the Holy Spirit by drinking water in a glass. They believe they are the universal church of God. They believe that you can do these kind of superstitious physical actions and actually achieve the spiritual reality. How could someone drink water and have the Holy Spirit in them, except you believe the Holy Spirit is pervading water? Well, if the Holy Spirit is pervading water, he's pervading air, so you could just breathe too. All these false teachings reign, and people who do not want to be free from sin, but want to keep their sins, and at the same time want to figure that they have the approbation of God, go and join these kind of teachings, accept these kind of teachings, and practice it. Because they get some physical blessing, they believe God was behind it. But you must remember the devil and evil angels bless people too, just for the sake of propagating deception. So the issue is not the blessing you get. The issue is, did the truth get exalted? Was it the pure, unvarnished truth that got exalted? Or was it false doctrine? And there are some that actually believe that when you drink this glass of water, you get the Holy Spirit. When you put your sins in a jar or in some porcelain jar or something like that, or clay jar, and you break the jar, you have actually broken your sins. That's superstition. That's nonsense. Those physical acts can't do anything like that. And yet that is teached in religions today in Trinidad and Tobago also. And such religions are proliferating. The point we are simply saying is all we need to do is to get to plain, simple Bible teachings. And the plain, simple Bible teachings shows us the position we should hold. Let's look back again at what John chapter 6 is telling us. And we will read verse 1 and verse 2. I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? End of quote. Did you just see that? So we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. If we are continuing in sin, grace is not abounding over us. Because grace abounds over those who are sin-free. So that if they now go and continue in sin, grace cannot abound over them. That's what the scriptures are showing you here. If we go a little lower down now to verse 6, verse 6 shows us the process of how God makes us sin-free. 
Yes, my dear people. Let's go to verse 6. I quote, Knowing this, and notice what Paul is telling us here. He says, knowing this, which means to say, you should know that. As a church, you should know that. But how many churches all over the world are ignorant of this? How many have inherited theological traditions from their forefathers that have brought them into ignorance concerning this reality? Let me quote again. It says this, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Did you just see that? It tells us that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And then it says here, that henceforth, from that moment onwards, we should not serve sin. Remember what Jesus said, he that sinneth is a servant or a slave of sin. And we are told here, when your old man and your body of sins are removed, we are told, henceforth, you do not serve sin. Now, what is the old man? The old man in Romans chapter 8 is called the carnal mind, or as the Greek has it, the thought of the flesh. The Bible clearly tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the old man is the old way of thinking, which is the thought of the flesh. Thoughts that are guided by perverted feelings. Thoughts that are backed by perverted feelings. But the point about it is the thoughts themselves awaken the wrong feelings. Then the feelings influence the thoughts to direct the person. That's the circular activity that takes place in people when they sin. You find they think the thoughts. Then the feelings come to go with the thoughts. The feelings are awakened in their body to go with the thoughts. Then the feelings become so strong, it now directs the thoughts. That's why it is called the thought of the flesh or the carnal mind or the old man, the old way of thinking. And notice we are told, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. In other words, the truth of Christ is used by God to replace the old man to crucify the old man. And then it continues, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And what is the body of sin? In verse 12, a little lower down, it shows us what the body of sin is. I quote, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Did you see that? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What does that tell us? It tells us that sin reigns in your body in the form of lust, concupiscence, evil passions, wrong feelings. And so the body of sins are the passions of sins flowing in your body. But if the old man is crucified, that the body of sins might be destroyed. And the Greek word for destroyed there is not the actual word destroyed, but it simply means held back, removed, inactivated. And so, if we were to read it according to the Greek text, here is what it tells us. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be inactivated. So you only inactivate evil passions when the old man the old way of thinking is destroyed. If God destroys the old way of thinking, then the passions cannot flow with the old way of thinking. It's only logical, it's only sensible. 
if the old way of thinking is removed, the passions that come up with those old way of thinking is crucified, is destroyed. It is inactivated. And we are told that henceforth we should not serve sin. And verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Did you get that? Or as the Greek text says, He that is dead is justified from the sin. So justification is God making you sin free. It is God removing the old man and inactivating the body of sins. It is God removing the old way of thinking and inactivating the perverted passions. Yes, my dear people, this is what your Bible tells you. And this process needs to be dwelt on more. You need to understand how this process happens because it is in fact called justification in your Bible. How this process happens of God getting rid of the old man and inactivating the body of sins needs to be explored more. When you explore this more, you understand better how God handles getting rid of sin from within man. And this is why we have been telling you over and over again that you don't struggle over the period of years, many, many years, and then you achieve sin freeness in the end. No. Sin freeness comes by God getting rid of sin from within you. It is a work of God. You know, in theology, they have two terms, monogism and synergism. Monogism means done by God alone. Synergism means done by a cooperation of God and man. Well, for your information, removing sin from within a person is a monogistic act. It is done by God alone. And keeping sin out from coming back in is synergistic. It is God and man's watch care also. But we will talk more about that. We just wanted you to know very carefully that sinfulness is a gift of God. It is something that God gives to you. It is something that He does. He makes you free. If the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It is a work of God, not a work of man. Yes, we have to have the penitent condition created by the Holy Spirit. We ought to have the condition of repentance and so on. But that does not make you sin-free. It is God's work that makes you sin-free. And when God makes you sin-free, you are free indeed. That's what your scriptures tell you. So, if any one of you wants this program, all you have to do is to call us at this number, 625-0446, 625-0446, and we will give you this study plus others that teach sin-freeness. And may God bless you until we meet again in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The judgments have set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall weigh. How shall we stand in that great day? How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him wanting? Oh,
judgment has set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall weigh? How shall we stand in that great day? How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him wanting? Or with our sins are washed away? Welcome to the Escape for Thy Life radio broadcast. This is a presentation of the independent Thusia Seventh-day Adventist Church, a revival of original Adventism and ancient Christianity. Our speaker is Brother Nairon Medina. Good day. This is Brother Medina for Thusia Seventh-day Adventist. And please let us start with a word of prayer. Loving Father, please be with us right now as we enter into your word. Bless all those listening and help them to understand the truth. These mercies we ask of you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we want to talk about becoming sin-free. <clears throat> becoming sin-free. And we want to show that to be free from sin is not something a human being can work on their own and achieve after 70 years, etc., of trying to be sanctified. Yes, my dear people, sinfulness is not something achieved by seeking to be sanctified over the years. Sinfulness is a gift of God. Yes, my dear people, this is what we want to show you. We want to show you that to be sin-free, you have to be given sin-freeness by God. That's how your Bible has it. Your Bible nowhere teaches you that you struggle over the years and you become sin-free. Also, the Bible nowhere says that you cannot be sin-free. You see, there are some people that misuse Scripture, misuse the writings of their religion to claim that a person cannot be sin-free. We want to show all this is wrong when you look at what the Bible tells us. You see, my dear people, the Bible has it plain. The Bible tells it to us plain both in the Old and in the New Testament, both in the first and in the second witness that sinfulness is possible. First of all, if we look at the Old Testament, we just want to show you a couple of scriptures there to show you that sinfulness is real. If we look at Psalms 119, here is what we are told. I quote from verse 1 to verse 3. It tells us this. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of Yahweh. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Now here comes the point. It says, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. End of quote. Did you see that? We are told they do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. 
Now, if the scripture tells us that such people, the people that are blessed, that are undefiled in the way, and they walk in the law of Yahweh, if the scripture tells us that they do no iniquity, why is it then that some people tells us that you must sin? Look, we are told that these people here do no iniquity. Now, if they do no iniquity, it means that you can be free from sin. Furthermore, if we go down and we look at verse 11 in Psalms 119, here is what we are told. I quote, it says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. End of quote. Did you just hear that? It says, that I might not sin against thee. So in other words, with the word of God hid in our heart, we can be free from sin. And this is a present reality right now, right here on this earth in our time. Yes, my dear people, so much is this a reality that the people that will see Jesus Christ literally coming in the heavens, the people that will face him literally coming, are people, in fact, who will be identified as sin-free. That's what your Bible tells you. Because if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, and we look at verse 28, here is what we are told. I quote, it says this, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him. Notice this, those that look for him. So they're looking for his coming. And that's what the word Adventist means, looking for the coming of Christ, looking for the advent of Christ. One who is looking for the advent of Christ is called Adventist. And since Jesus Christ is to come again, the name stipulates those who are actually expecting that coming and they're looking for his coming. So the scripture continues. It says, And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. End of quote. Did you see that? Without sin unto salvation. So who will be without sin? Those who are looking for him come in. They are the ones that will be without sin unto salvation. And he will appear unto them the second time, and they will be without sin unto salvation. Now, if Christ comes and he meets you in sin, do you expect to be free from destruction? The glory of God that is a consuming fire will destroy you if you have sin in you. This is why the Bible says that that wicked will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. Yes, my dear people. And so, your Bible does indeed tell you that you could be sin-free and you should be sin-free upon the face of this earth. Now, what is the problem? The problem is that over the years, false religion has robbed people of hope. The hypocrisy and the failings of others also have robbed many people of hope. They do not believe that you can live 24-7 without even thinking one wrong thought, without having one wrong feeling in your body, without doing one wrong deed. They don't believe it is possible. In other words, in their psyche, sin is so powerful that it can overcome righteousness. That's how they are thinking, and that's what they're saying. They don't believe that the righteousness of God and that righteousness and that holiness 
is so powerful that once it is in you, at your choice, it can keep sin away from coming within you. And these problems that people have in their thinking is completely wrong because they are not informed from the scriptures. Today, we have a church that believes you can be sin-free and that teaches members to be sin-free and that points them out to the way that you can be free from sin through God and also points them out how to maintain the sin-freeness. And that's Tuesday Seventh-day Adventists, wherever we are, whether we are here in Trinidad, whether we are in Pakistan, whether we, we are in London or the United States, St. Vincent, Grenada, Tobago, wherever we are, we teach that you can be free from sin. Yes, my dear people, this is our teaching. And we give you hope to prove to you that you do not have to commit one single wrong at any time. Why? Because Christ can make you free. And this comes to a scripture we want to look at that explains sin-freeness in a peculiar way. And this is Jesus himself speaking. And we are looking at John chapter 8. And we want to look at verse uh, 32 first of all. Here is what it tells us. I quote, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. End of quote. Did you see that? Jesus said, knowing the truth makes you free. Somebody asks, free from what? Free from ignorance? No, not free from ignorance just like that. If we look at verse 34, it tells us free from what? I read, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. End of quote. Now the word servant there in the Greek word is a stronger word than the word servant. The word means slave. So it actually means he that committed sin is a slave of sin. That's what it is really saying. So when a person commits sin, they are a slave of sin. And that now helps us to understand what verse 32 is speaking about, the context of verse 32. Because verse 32 clearly tells us, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make you free from what? Make you free from being a slave of sin. And now we go down a little more to verse 36. And here is what Jesus is saying. I quote, he says this. If the Son of Man, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. End of quote. Did you see that? So Jesus is pointing out a freedom where he says you are free indeed. He says, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Did you get that? Free indeed means really free, truly free, surely free, absolutely free. That's what it means. And Jesus is saying, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's what he said. Now, what does this show us? This shows us that when a person wants freedom, he cannot get it on his own. It is the Son of Man that makes him free, free from being a slave to sin. Now, remember, your Bible already tells you that he that committed sin is a slave to sin. So if you're doing the wrong, you're a slave to that wrong. And Jesus Christ says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then he says, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Really free, truly free. 
Now, that's not a half or quarter freedom or three-quarter freedom. That is a true, genuine, real freedom, which means to say you don't have to commit sin. And some of you need to have your mind educated with this because in your churches, you're not getting that education. In your churches, they're preaching how to get wealth, how to get position, how to get car, how to get house, how to be successful in a sinful world. All that's what they're teaching. Like Joel Osteen and all of those other preachers, that's all they're preaching. Many of them in Trinidad also are preaching that. All they're telling you is about healing from this sickness, healing from that sickness. And none of them are, is touching the sickness of sin. No one is touching the sickness of sin. Because they don't believe you can be free. They do not saturate their churches and saturate the person's consciousness with an education of being free from sin. Because it is a psychological law that what you expect to happen, most likely your actions and tendencies would be towards that to cause that to happen. So if a person is looking for sin-freeness, they will find in the scriptures how Christ makes them sin-free so that they will be sin-free. Yes, my dear people. And that's the fact about it. The problem is that many people in their churches don't believe that. And these are not the things preached. They don't want to hear that. Oh, these evangelical churches, they will attack the law of God because they don't believe they can keep the law of God. They believe that they must sin. And so they believe they're saved by grace. But that grace that they're teaching there is not the grace that the Bible speaks about. Because the grace that the Bible speaks about delivers you from sin and doesn't save you in sin. That's the difference. Therefore, if we go to Romans chapter 6 and dwell on that chapter a bit, we shall get a proper understanding as to what it tells us about sin freeness. Yes, my dear people. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 and verse 2. Here is how we start off. I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? End of quote. Did you just see that? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So the grace here that the Bible spoke about, speaks about, the grace here that is spoken about, tells us clearly that we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. Let's read it again, and we will read the following verse. Here is what we are told, I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? End of quote. Did you see that? We are told, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's what we are told. So in other words, if we cannot continue in sin, that grace may abound. Because when we are dead to sin, we are not to live any longer therein. It means that grace abounds over someone who is dead to sin. You cannot be in sin and have grace abounding on you. Yes, my dear people. And so the grace the evangelicals teach is not the grace the Bible teach. Because this grace abounds to a person who is dead to sin. And they don't believe that. They look for a grace as a favor that accepts them in their sinful state. 
or just accept some repentance or some confession. That's how the Jews think. Or the Jews believe you can only go as far as repentance or confession. And they don't go further. And that's how these churches are. They only believe that you can go as far as just confession and repentance. And then God puts some righteousness and some account somewhere which is not in the Bible. And they are counted as if they are righteous when they are not righteous. So they have grace abounding over those same people who are not dead to sin. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. And this is the reason why we say it is time to get away from those theology of those pastors and to get to the plain, simple meaning and teaching of the Bible. But you know, many people have their own interpretations, but interpretations that twist the scriptures and they wrestle the scriptures and stretch it unto their own destruction. And this is the reason why you find so much false doctrines are proliferating all over the world in so many churches. You have a church telling you you can drink the Holy Spirit by drinking water in a glass. They believe they are the universal church of God. They believe that you can do these kind of superstitious physical actions and actually achieve the spiritual reality. How could someone drink water and have the Holy Spirit in them, except you believe the Holy Spirit is pervading water? Well, if the Holy Spirit is pervading water, he's pervading air, so you could just breathe too. All these false teachings reign, and people who do not want to be free from sin, but want to keep their sins, and at the same time want to figure that they have the approbation of God, go and join these kind of teachings, accept these kind of teachings, and practice it. Because they get some physical blessing, they believe God was behind it. But you must remember the devil and evil angels bless people too, just for the sake of propagating deception. So the issue is not the blessing you get. The issue is, did the truth get exalted? Was it the pure, unvarnished truth that got exalted? Or was it false doctrine? And there are some that actually believe that when you drink this glass of water, you get the Holy Spirit. When you put your sins in a jar or in some porcelain jar or something like that, or clay jar, and you break the jar, you've actually broken your sins. That's superstition. That's nonsense. Those physical acts can't do anything like that. And yet that is teached in religions today in Trinidad and Tobago also. And such religions are proliferating. The point we are simply saying is all we need to do is to get to plain, simple Bible teachings. And the plain, simple Bible teachings shows us the position we should hold. Let's look back again at what John chapter 6 is telling us. And we will read verse 1 and verse 2. I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? End of quote. Did you just see that? So we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. If we are continuing in sin, grace is not abounding over us. Because grace abounds over those who are sin-free. So that if they now go and continue in sin, grace cannot abound over them. That's what the scriptures are showing you here. If we go a little lower down now to verse 6, verse 6 shows us the process of how God makes us sin-free. 
Yes, my dear people. Let's go to verse 6. I quote, Knowing this, and notice what Paul is telling us here. He says, knowing this, which means to say, you should know that. As a church, you should know that. But how many churches all over the world are ignorant of this? How many have inherited theological traditions from their forefathers that has brought them into ignorance concerning this reality? Let me quote again. It says this, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Did you just see that? It tells us that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And then it says here, that henceforth, from that moment onwards, we should not serve sin. Remember what Jesus said, he that sinned is a servant or a slave of sin. And we are told here, when your old man and your body of sins are removed, we are told, henceforth, you do not serve sin. Now, what is the old man? The old man in Romans chapter 8 is called the carnal mind, or as the Greek has it, the thought of the flesh. The Bible clearly tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the old man is the old way of thinking, which is the thought of the flesh. Thoughts that are guided by perverted feelings. Thoughts that are backed by perverted feelings. But the point about it is the thoughts themselves awaken the wrong feelings. Then the feelings influence the thoughts to direct the person. That's the circular activity that takes place in people when they sin. You find they think the thoughts, then the feelings come to go with the thoughts. The feelings are awakened in their body to go with the thoughts. Then the feelings become so strong, it now directs the thoughts. That's why it is called the thought of the flesh or the carnal mind or the old man, the old way of thinking. And notice we are told, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. In other words, the truth of Christ is used by God to replace the old man to crucify the old man. And then it continues, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And what is the body of sin? In verse 12, a little lower down, it shows us what the body of sin is. I quote, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Did you see that? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What does that tell us? It tells us that sin reigns in your body in the form of lust, concupiscence, evil passions, wrong feelings. And so the body of sins are the passions of sins flowing in your body. But if the old man is crucified, that the body of sins might be destroyed. And the Greek word for destroyed there is not the actual word destroyed, but it simply means held back, removed, inactivated. And so, if we were to read it according to the Greek text, here is what it tells us. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be inactivated. So you only inactivate evil passions when the old man, the old way of thinking, is destroyed. If God destroys the old way of thinking, then the passions cannot flow with the old way of thinking. It's only logical, it's only sensible. 
if the old way of thinking is removed, the passions that come up with those old way of thinking is crucified, is destroyed. It is inactivated. And we are told that henceforth we should not serve sin. And verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Did you get that? Or as the Greek text says, He that is dead is justified from the sin. So justification is God making you sin free. It is God removing the old man and inactivating the body of sins. It is God removing the old way of thinking and inactivating the perverted passions. Yes, my dear people, this is what your Bible tells you. And this process needs to be dwelt on more. You need to understand how this process happens because it is in fact called justification in your Bible. How this process happens of God getting rid of the old man and inactivating the body of sins needs to be explored more. When you explore this more, you understand better how God handles getting rid of sin from within man. And this is why we have been telling you over and over again that you don't struggle over the period of years, many, many years, and then you achieve sin freeness in the end. No. Sin freeness comes by God getting rid of sin from within you. It is a work of God. You know, in theology, they have two terms, monogism and synergism. Monogism means done by God alone. Synergism means done by a cooperation of God and man. Well, for your information, removing sin from within a person is a monogistic act. It is done by God alone. And keeping sin out from coming back in is synergistic. It is God and man's watch care also. But we will talk more about that. We just wanted you to know very carefully that sinfulness is a gift of God. It is something that God gives to you. It is something that He does. He makes you free. If the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It is a work of God, not a work of man. Yes, we have to have the penitent condition created by the Holy Spirit. We ought to have the condition of repentance and so on. But that does not make you sin-free. It is God's work that makes you sin-free. And when God makes you sin-free, you are free indeed. That's what your scriptures tell you. So, if any one of you wants this program, all you have to do is to call us at this number, 625-0446, and we will give you this study plus others that teach sin-freeness. And may God bless you until we meet again in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The judgments have set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall reign. How shall we stand?